the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. My life is nothing to me. My life is only valuable in the sense of what I can do for the Lord. And I glory in Him. And so because I've emptied myself of self and I'm just serving the Lord for the glory of God, he says, that's why I've been through all these things, I've endured all these things, and yet I have the joy of the Lord. Because he knows that his life is not his own. And he counts everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Corinthians. Paul suffered greatly for the cause of Christ and to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. He loved his fellow believers deeply and wanted to honor God by pouring out his life for them. He emptied himself completely to serve God. And Pastor Gary will remind you today that he did it gladly and with great joy. Everything Paul did and everything he suffered was worth it to him if it resulted in others believing in Jesus. Paul gloried only in Christ to spread the gospel. The cause of Christ is worth any sacrifice. What are you willing to give up for others to know Jesus? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapters 11 through 13, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul concludes the last few chapters by giving some of his credentials so that the church would recognize, the church at Corinth would recognize that he is legitimate, that he is credible. He has been discredited by some who have come into the church at Corinth not liking the message and so therefore trying to malign the messenger. And so Paul is uncomfortable. You can tell in his writing in the last few chapters, he's uncomfortable having to talk about himself, but he does mention the word boasting 23 times just between chapters 10 through 12. He's going to boast about his ministry. He's going to boast about his credentials, but not so that everybody can look at him, but more so so that they could look at the Lord through him. But he realizes that if he doesn't speak up, if he allows these false teachers 
to spread the gossip and the lies about him that in the end what could be at stake is the gospel. That the church at Corinth will question the truth of the gospel because they no longer believe the messenger who presented that truth. See, Paul established the church at Corinth, the book of Acts tells us, and then he stayed there for a year and a half ministering to them, discipling them. He left. He comes back for a brief visit between First and Second Corinthians, and now he's contemplating a third visit. And he's going to tell us in the closing chapters here, if I have to come back on my third visit, you will not like me. I will not be pleasant, Paul. I'm going to be Paul with a vengeance, and I'm going to kick you in the pants, and I'm going to get up in your grill, and I'm going to enforce some of the things that you think I'm too timid to enforce. I'm telling you what, when I get there, I'm going to, you know, so he's given given it to him in the last few chapters here, and he's going to boast about his ministry, again, because the gospel is at stake. And last week, we got through one of three credentials that he lists. He talks about how he has worked hard first part of chapter 11, because he wants them to know, I haven't come to take anything from you. I haven't come to take your money. I haven't come to take anything that you have. I'm just simply coming to offer to you the free gift of salvation. I presented to you the gospel. I wanted to grow you up in your faith. It's all about me just wanting to give to you, and I worked hard. I didn't take anything from you. The Bible says he received some support from some of the other churches, but not the church at Corinth, and that he was also a tent maker by trade, so he supported himself. So that there's no charges by the Corinthian church that he was in this for any kind of personal gain. I worked hard among you, he says. That should speak for something. And then where we left off at verse 16, he's going to also now go into the second credential of his, and and he's going to say to them, I have suffered much. Not only have I worked hard, but secondly, I have suffered much. And the reason he's going to list his suffering here is because he wants them to know that the battle scars serve to prove his ministry, that he has been tested by the fire, and that should say something. So pick it up with me at verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 16, he says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do... Then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. So, in other words, he's saying, don't blame Jesus for what I'm about to say, all right? Because I just need to talk a little bit about myself. But again, he's uncomfortable with this. He says in verse 18, since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise, exclamation mark. Now, he's, he's being sarcastic here. Paul's a little sassy in these closing chapters here, and he has some sarcasm. This isn't the first time. He's going to be sarcastic a little bit further in the chapters here, which, you know, I don't want to read too much into that, you know, because I can tend to be sarcastic from time to time, and I don't want to just, well, Paul was that way. You know, I don't want to be like that kind of a guy, so... But anyway, Paul was that kind of a guy. So he's, he's being a little sarcastic here. He goes, oh, oh, you people are so wise, you know, because he's saying to them, you've been deceived by these false teachers who have come into the camp saying, I'm not legitimate. So, oh, oh you're, you're so wise that you were able to discern them, not. So then he says, so let me boast a little bit. He wouldn't know the difference. In verse 20, he says, in fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Again, one of their accusations was, Paul, you're you're too weak. You sound forceful when you write your letters, but in person, you're too weak. So again, he's saying to them, you know, you've put up with a lot from these false teachers. You've believed them. So put up with some stuff for me a little bit here. He says, what anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare 
to boast about. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then in parenthesis, I am out of my mind to talk like this. You know, he, again, he doesn't feel comfortable doing this, but here he goes. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. But he says, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So he's listing here for the church all that he's been through. And this is probably not exhaustive, but he's wanting them to know, look, I've suffered and I've suffered a lot. And the reason I've suffered a lot is because I love you so much that I've wanted to pour out my life for the work of the Lord to honor him. So shouldn't that speak for something? Shouldn't you believe in the legitimacy of my ministry? Shouldn't you accept the gospel that has come through me to you because of all that I've been through? Doesn't that mean something to you? You know, why would somebody go through all this if not for that ultimate purpose and cause? Just can't you see this? What I have been through for the sake of the gospel. Now, and in spite of all this, you know, Paul is a joyful man. And why is it that he can be so joyful in spite of all this? Well, I'll, I'll read from Galatians 2.20 because Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. My life is nothing to me. My life is only valuable in the sense of what I can do for the Lord. And I glory in him. And so because I've emptied myself of self and I'm just serving the Lord for the glory of God, he says, that's why I've been through all these things, I've endured all these things, and yet I have the joy of the Lord. Because he knows that his life is not his own. And he counts everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and of making him known. He says, that's why I do this. He says, do you think I've suffered all these things for no reason? Of course not. I've suffered these things, and I've done it gladly for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. He says, I love you so much. This is why I've endured these kind of things. And besides all of this, he says there in verse 28, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You know, he labors in prayer over the churches. He loves the church. Somebody once said that when you add up all the miles that Paul traveled in the ancient world, he traveled more than anybody else to share the gospel. Why did he go through all of this? To bring the good news to people. So he's defending himself, but more than that, he's defending the gospel that he's presenting. In verse 29, he says, who is weak and I do not feel weak? 
who was led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. He says, look, I'm, I'm frail like the next person. I, I have feet of clay like everybody else. He's inside, I wrestle with sin. I inwardly burn. He talks about how he wars the members of his body, war with his spirit because they're in conflict with each other. He talks about how that which he wants to do, he doesn't do. The things he doesn't want to do, that's what he does in Romans. So he talks about his own personal conflict because as regenerated people, our flesh is still on the way to decay. Our spirit has been redeemed and regenerated, but our flesh is not. And so the fleshly appetites will once in a while still constantly rise up within us, wanting to master us, wanting to dominate us. Paul even talks about himself here. He says, look, I inwardly burn. I wrestle with sin too. He says, there is this battle that wages within me, and nevertheless, I persevere. I inwardly burn. I feel weak at times. But I press on. And he adds in verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. That whole account is recorded in Acts chapter 9. When Paul first gets converted to Christ because of this vision, this revelation, the Lord Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. Paul is this zealous Jew defending the cause of Judaism, wanting to persecute the early church, being a participant in really the contribution towards the murder of Christians. And he's on his way to Damascus thinking that he's doing something that's going to serve God and the cause of Judaism, only to be confronted by a personal visitation from Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so he experiences this radical transformation. You know, when somebody has a radical transformation of faith, they often refer to it as a Damascus road experience. That's what they are referring to, just the same way that Paul had this encounter with the Lord and was radically changed. That's the kind of experience that Paul had. Well, the Bible tells us in Acts 9 that he stays in Damascus for a while and he becomes this zealous advocate for Christ. But as he's going around preaching the gospel... He has to run for his life because he's going to be persecuted for it. And so believers lower him from the wall of Damascus in a basket so that he might escape. In chapter 12, Paul says this, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. All right, now, pause for just a moment. So there's this description of an encounter that a man has by being taken up to the third heaven. So who is the man? What is this vision? What is the third heaven? So um, Paul doesn't come right out and say, I am that guy. But most Bible scholars believe that he is referring to himself, even though in the first six verses he writes in the third person. I'm going to tell you about the story about a man. The reason why it is believed that he is referring to himself is because the pronouns change to the first person in verse 7. 
You'll notice the next verse, verse 7, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, that's a whole other part we're going to get into in a moment, but I just wanted to compare the first six verses to verse 7 so that everybody understands that without him explicitly saying, Paul is implicitly saying, I am that guy. Now, why didn't he just come right out and say, let me tell you about a vision I had, this revelation, I was taken up to the third. Because again, he's uncomfortable with this. He doesn't want to just come right out and boast about his revelations and visions that he's had. So he writes in the third person, I know a person, 14 years ago, this is what happened. And this is probably a reference to his own near-death experience in Acts chapter 14 when he was beaten and left for dead in the city of Lystra. Now, it is possible that he actually did die, that he had what we would call today an out-of-body experience. He doesn't even fully know himself because he says twice, he says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So he says, I don't know whether or not I, I actually left my body and was taken up to the third heaven. We'll define that in a moment. Or if he's saying, or whether I was just, you know, in this unconscious state, and in this unconscious state, God gave me a vision. He says, I don't know if I was actually there taken by my spirit or whether this was a vision that God gave me, but he said, nevertheless, God gave this to me. This is legitimate. This is a vision revelation. By the way, there are many different times in the New Testament where visions and revelations are experienced by different people. Uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, had a vision and a revelation. The angel Gabriel appeared to him. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary as well. Peter, when he was praying in Joppa, had a vision about Cornelius and going to, to his family in Caesarea. Um, John, the whole book of Revelation really is about the revelation of Jesus Christ that was given to John the Apostle. There are many times in the New Testament where people experience visions and revelations. But now, please note, that in every case, when someone received a vision or revelation, it was for themselves for some particular purpose. It was not for them to tell another person. It's very interesting in the New Testament. Does God still give visions and revelations? Yes. But I would be a little cautious if someone says, God gave me a revelation for you. Because in the New Testament, the examples we have are revelations and visions that God gives to individuals for some particular purpose for that individual. Now, in Paul's case, he had this vision. He had this revelation. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, he's not even sure. But he says, I was taken up to, again, writing in the third person, but most scholars believe this is his story. He says, I was taken up to the third heaven. Now, what is the third heaven? Are there layers to heaven? No. There are not layers to heaven. If some of you think there are, then maybe you're thinking to yourself, I hope I get up to the top. You know, because I don't know about my personal walk with the Lord. I don't know if the elevator goes all the way to the top or only stops at the first floor. No, there are not three levels or three floors to heaven. In ancient times, they didn't know how to communicate. What we would say today are the three atmospheres. We have Earth's atmosphere. We have outer space. And then there's heaven. The ancient rabbis would write in terms of the blue sky, the starry sky, and the dwelling of God. So he's talking about taken to the highest point of the heavens, meaning the place where God dwells, the ultimate dwelling place of God, which is heaven. So when he says, I was taken to the third heaven, all he simply means is beyond earth's atmosphere, beyond outer space is the dwelling of God. Somewhere out beyond outer space is heaven. 
as I was taken there, whether my spirit or whether by vision, I was in the presence of the Lord. Now again, John in Revelation writes about being in the presence of the Lord. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah writes about being taken up to the throne of God in heaven, seeing the Lord himself seated on the throne, high and lifted up. Okay, so Paul is experiencing a similar thing here as did John and as did Isaiah, where he is either literally in the presence of the Lord or heaven is open to him in a vision and he hears what is in heaven because nowhere in the first six verses does it speak about what he sees. It only talks about what he heard. If you'll notice, the word is in verse 4. He says that he was caught up to paradise and he heard inexpressible things things that man is not permitted to tell. Now, for some reason at this point, 14 years later, after this experience in Lystra where he was left for dead, God has now given him permission to write about it. It seems to indicate that he's never talked about this before, that this is such a sacred, spectacular, unique moment that he just hasn't gone around talking about this, that 14 years later, for the purpose of encouraging and edifying and helping the Corinthian church to, again, understand its credentials, he now speaks of these things because it's point number three to his credentials. He speaks about how he experienced miraculous things. This is a miraculous thing. Whether or not it was just a vision or whether it was taken actually into heaven, it's a miraculous thing. It's a miraculous revelation and vision from the Lord. And so, He writes about this so that, again, they would recognize he's not just some Johnny-come-lately. This is a guy who has worked hard to not take anything from them. He has suffered much, and he has experienced miraculous things. So he's saying, don't discredit the gospel because you question me. Let me tell you three things that should mean something about the legitimacy and the credibility of my ministry. So he speaks about this event here. And when he speaks of it, he tells us some reasons why he experienced this and, and what it means, and he, and he gives some more light about what happened here. And the first thing for you note-takers that I want to point out about his, what he calls this thorn in the flesh, we're going to talk about what that means in a few moments here, but first I want you to notice that the Greek word is uh, skolops, skolops, and it means a tent stake. This is not a minor irritation. He's not... Whatever, whatever this is that comes upon him now, he refers to as a thorn of the flesh in response, really, to the visions and revelation that he's received, and it's not something, some minor irritation. This is a major issue in his life. So he uses a word that can be translated tent stake. This is not just, so when we think of thorn, we think of like, you know, something on a rose bush. This is something that is much more impacting in his life than some kind of minor irritation. And he tells us that it was given to him. He says, it was given to me. Notice that. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. In other words, Paul reckoned his trial as a gift. This is some important doctrine for us because in the way that he writes about his own experience, he also helps us to understand trials and a little bit about suffering and how he managed it. Because he talks about, on the one hand, I I experienced this wonderful revelation, wonderful visions. He says, on the other hand, there was this other side of my life that I was constantly suffering through, and I had to endure different things. 
And, and whatever this thing is that he refers to as this thorn in his flesh, he says it was given to me. And he saw it in the long run. I don't know if it was immediately apparent to him, but he saw it in the long run as a gift. Living in unity with one another is never an easy task. Every member of the church is unique and filled with personality. And with that comes opinions. As you've learned from the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians, though, unity within the body of Christ is a must. You don't have to agree on every tiny detail, but on the basic tenets of faith, members need to agree. Living in harmony does require humility and open communication and a willingness to follow the leadership God has placed over His church. We hope today's teaching on Cornerstone Connection has been encouraging to you. If you're in the area, we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia for a time of worship and Bible study. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our website also houses our archive of Pastor Gary's teachings through the Bible, as well as additional resources to help you in your own study of the Word. You can even download our mobile app to take Cornerstone Connection with you on the go. You'll find all this again at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor Gary has more to share from the book of 2 Corinthians, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.